Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Allow me to read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, There's disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The Lord, open our hearts to the truths of your word. Lord, we are always seeking wisdom, how to live out our lives. Lord, there are definitely two sources of wisdom. Lord, there's the wisdom from above, from you, and there's the wisdom that is fleshly of this world. Lord, help us to understand the difference and know where we need to seek wisdom and understanding. Guide us in our study, and then help us to apply these truths to our lives today and live them out as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wisdom and understanding, where do we get it from? That's the question that James is asking. Uh, So today he's really going to kind of be giving us uh, two sources or kind of the two definitions that we find for wisdom and understanding. Uh, He pretty quickly shows us that uh, there's worldly definition of wisdom and then there's the spiritual definition. And he begins by giving us two characteristics of godly spiritual wisdom. He says in verse 13, the latter part says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds. In other words, if we have godly wisdom, wisdom from above, it all be seen in how we live. It should be seen in our good behavior. Now, you know, there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord that are actually pretty nice people. That's not what this is talking about. It basically says that you will live out your faith if you have godly wisdom. Godly wisdom and understanding always produces fruit. And it's not just fruit of kindness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Things that only God can truly produce in our lives on an ongoing basis. You know, we can all live good, nice people lives from time to time, but it's usually not real consistent. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us for that to be consistent. And so that's the picture. It's not just good behavior, but godly behavior. Because if we are truly a child of God, then it's not just our goodness. It is God working in us and through us to be able to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. So the difference is some people try to do good things to earn their way to salvation, 
while we as Christians do good things as a result of our salvation. Well, how do we know the difference? Well, the first, the person who does good things trying to earn their way to heaven, basically does it for their own glory. They, they want the pat on the back. They want people to think that they're good people. But the people who do good things as a result of salvation, we do it as a way to honor God for His will to be done in and through our lives. So the difference is that we're just not doing good things. We're doing godly things in His Spirit. Well, it also says that we will have gentleness and wisdom. Gentleness Meekness are words that this world has a totally different definition of than we as Christians. Gentleness and weakness, uh, meekness in the world's view are signs of weakness. They're not. Actually, the key word or the uh, underlying word for the word gentleness that we find in the, in the Bible actually describes a wild animal that has been tamed. So that wild animal still has this incredible strength and power, but it's been put under control. And so what gentleness in the spiritual context means is that we, even in our fleshly desires and the ways that we have lived, the, the strengths that we have, the personalities we have, the attributes that we have, our talents and abilities are now under the control of Almighty God. We're not just living our lives any way that we want to. We are now living surrendered lives unto Him. And so just like a horse, a wild horse that's been tamed, it still has this incredible strength and power, but now it's harnessed. It's under control. Well, that's the same as us. We still have all this strength and power that makes us up as who we are, but now it's under God's control. So that gentleness and wisdom is really showing that that God has taken this wild flesh and He has taken it and made it under control through His Spirit. So now we do nothing to boast and brag about our own abilities. Now we do everything that we do to honor God and point others towards Him. That way God is the one who's accomplishing His will through us. Well, we get to verse 14 and James pretty much gives us an example or kind of examples of what it means to to not have the right type of wisdom and understanding. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. He basically says, this wisdom does not come from above. And we'll get into where it comes from in just a moment. But let's look at the evidence that betrays godly wisdom and understanding. The very first thing he says in verse 14 is that you have bitter jealousy. Now, you know, even as a child of God, we may have a little time of jealousy. We see somebody that has more than what we have. They have higher positions. They're more popular in society. They have a greater influence than we do. And, you know, we're still flesh and blood, and sometimes we have a little twinge of jealousy. But that's not really what this means. This is living a lifestyle of jealousy. Never feeling like you have what you deserve or what you think you should have. You see what other people have and you're jealous. Not only jealous, but you become bitter about it. You want what they have. Covetousness, desiring what others have, even though it's not yours to have. And so this bitter jealousy 
is something that characterizes wisdom from above. It's basically saying, you know, I want what I want when I want it. I want things for myself, and it hurts me. I get angry. I get upset. I'm jealous when I see that others have more than I have. And so we look and we see that they're, they're losing out on what God intends. God actually tells us to rejoice in what others have and to count it a blessing on whatever it is that we have already received. Uh, there's a beautiful old hymn, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, and see what all God has done. But too many live in this world today, and they're looking at what others have, and they just can't understand why they can't have it, why they shouldn't already have it. And so they have this bitter jealousy. But then it goes from bitter jealousy to selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is focusing on what others have, but selfish ambition is focusing on self. You know, I think that I'm a good person. I think I'm better than other people. And it's this arrogant uh, personality, this self-centered, selfish ambition that says, you know, I'm better than anyone else. And that's what our world teaches us to think, that we are superior to others. And it teaches us to look down upon others to try to make ourselves look more superior. But there again, God desires that just the opposite. He says that the last shall be first. He gives us that beautiful illustration found in Luke chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. He says, when you are invited to someone uh, to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he will invite you both. Uh, he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to the occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have a place of honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the picture of this world. The world says, I'm better, and I want the place of honor. I want people to look at me. I want the attention. And so they usurp the place of attention. They say, this is my place. I want people to see me. I want to be seen and heard by all around me. And God says, that arrogant, prideful attitude I'll deal with. I'll humble you. I'll take away what you already have so that what you think that you want will never take place, but what you already have will be taken from you. And then a child of God who sees that he's already been richly blessed just by simply receiving God's gift of salvation, eternal life, and the blessing that God gives us on top of that, he feels that, how could I ever expect more? And he ministers humbly in the name of the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in him and through him. And then God says, the humble I will exalt. I will lift you up. You will stand before me one day and receive praise. But then he also says, do not be arrogant. Arrogance is another sign of those who live by the worldly wisdom. Arrogance. That's basically just being conceited. It's basically thinking of yourself as more important than others, along with the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition. And it's basically just this selfish attitude to be conceit. 
to look at others and look at yourself and say, I'm so much better than they are. I've got so much more. Or we'll get into another part later on. I'll slander them so that their reputation will be harmed. So I think I will look better. And James says, if you live this way, you are lying against the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is the Word of God. If you live this way and claim to be a child of God, if you claim to be a child of God, but you have this bitter jealousy, this selfish ambition, you have this arrogance, then you are living a lie. You're not a child of God. You cannot live that way on a consistent basis and truly be a son of God or a daughter of God, a child of God. It doesn't match up. And so he's basically saying, make sure that you know whose you are. But then he gets into verse 15. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes from above. It is earthly, natural, and demonic. So this worldly wisdom has really three sources. He first says it is earthly. It is of this world. Basically, this world does not live by the principles of Christianity. This world does not live in a relationship with Almighty God. This world lives in a very anti-God relationship. And so when we live in this world, we are going to be tempted to live by the standards of this world, which are not godly, unchristian. And so the worldly wisdom is that of those who have no relationship with the Lord. Then he says it is natural. In other words, whatever your natural desire is, do it. If it feels good, do it. If it meets your worldly desires, go for it. If it makes you feel good or more important, then it must be right. In other words, it's all about me. It's all about me, the natural desires. As long as I'm feeding my natural desires, then it must be all right. Then he goes one more step. It is demonic. Worldly wisdom is demonic. We don't understand why God allows Satan to have reign over our world, but he does. And Satan has blinded the eyes of so many from the truth. He basically says, I'm in control of this world. You live by my standards. And so when we live bitter jealousy, selfish ambitions, arrogance, then we're going to live this evil lifestyle that's controlled by Satan. Satan is very good at what he does. Just ask Eve. Go back to the very first of the Bible where he told Eve, you want to be like God, don't you? Get that arrogance going. Get that self-centeredness going. Get that jealousy going. He has so much and you have so little. Don't you want to be like God? Well, just eat of this fruit that he's forbidden and you'll be like God. Satan tempts us in the same ways. Don't you want to be seen as somebody special in this world today? Then you need to be arrogant. You need to focus on self. You need to be upset with others who claim that they have more or better than you. And so Satan has his influence on worldly wisdom. So we look at this and he says that basically when you have these things, look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There is disorder in every evil thing. Disorder, chaos, whatever term you want to use. Basically what he's saying is, if you live by the world's standards, by the worldly wisdom, you will live in chaos. Now let me ask you something. Is there chaos in our world today? Yeah. There's total chaos in our world today. Everybody is against everybody else. It's all about me. That is the attitude of our world today. Uh, we see this chaos, this competing against one another in pretty much every aspect of life. Politics is huge right now with the upcoming election. Uh, the business world is always uh, cutting down, trying to annihilate the competition. And even our social norms are just chaos. There really are no social norms anymore. Social norms used to be where people cared about each other, ministered to each other, made sure that each other's needs are met. Now it's just the opposite of that. How can I become better, bigger, more popular than anybody else? And so we look at this and so there's such little spirit of cooperation, love. It's basically every man, woman, and child for themselves. So this chaos, it says, leads to every evil thing. The evil in this world is basically a, an offspring of the worldly wisdom. People saying, this is what I want in life, and I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want. And it doesn't matter what they do. If they cut down someone else so that they can, quote, seem to feel more important, they'll do that. If uh, truth doesn't give them what they want, they'll lie. So basically every evil thing comes from this attitude. Now we finally get to the good part. But the wisdom from above, wisdom from above is from God. It comes to us through His Holy Spirit. If you go all the way back to the first part of James, he talks about you know, counting it all joy when you face all these trials that we're going to have in your life because they will help you to learn perseverance and become more mature as a child of God. And then he says, if you need some help as dealing with these trials, ask God for wisdom. Wisdom of God comes from above, and it's exactly what James was talking about back in chapter 1. When you struggle with knowing the directions to follow in life, ask God. He will give you wisdom. He will give it to you plentifully without holding anything back, and He won't hold it against you that you've asked. He loves for us to come to Him and ask for His advice, for His wisdom, for His guidance. So wisdom from come, that comes from above, James uses about eight terms that describe this godly wisdom. He begins with pure. To be pure means that we are emphasizing our relationship with God. Now, God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Another term, another passage says, Be pure, for I am pure. So God expects us to be pure and holy in His sight. Not an easy task. How do we do that? Well, first, we confess our sins before Him. Let Him know that we admit that we are sinners, that we have things that hinder us from having this right relationship with the Lord. Then we repent of our sins, turn away from that sin to turn towards God. Then He cleanses us from our sin. And 
fills us with his righteousness. When God fills us with his righteousness, he no longer sees the evidence of sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And we become pure and holy in his presence. But that's only when we're willing to confess that we're sinners, that we repent and turn away from that sin and receive God's forgiveness of our sin and his cleansing of our unrighteousness. So when we do that, it is basically the picture of living a surrendered life unto the Lord. The next term is peaceable. It's an outcome of having a pure heart and mind. It is basically saying we no longer need to strive with the world around us. We are at peace with God. We know that He has made us who we are. He has already gifted us in the ways that He desires. There is nothing that we are lacking. If there is, then guess what? God will provide. And so we're at peace with the world around us because we don't need anything from this world. We have everything that we need from God. And He is the peacemaker. Now, this peace is the assurance that God is with us. That no matter what trial or temptation or situation we find ourselves in, God will give us peace through it. Then the next is gentle. Before we talked about this, gentleness is not weakness, but power under control. God enables us to stand our ground when we need to. See, God never tells us to compromise our faith. When the world around us attacks us for what we believe and tries to convince us that what we believe is wrong, God wants us to stand our ground. So this gentleness is power under control. It's not confrontational. It's just saying, listen, I know what I believe. We're not going to just agree to disagree. I'm stating fully and fully and honestly, this is what I believe, this is why I believe it. You can do that in a gentle spirit. But don't compromise. Reasonableness. This shows that Godly wisdom enables us to live in this world and to show that we understand what God has commanded us to do. We're reasonable. When we go out into this world, God is the one who's in control of what comes out of our mouth, what we do in our actions, what we think, what we desire. He is the one that controls. And it is through Him that we can live in a reasonable way in the lives around us. Full of mercy. Goodness. This world needs mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. And full of mercy means that we are willing to minister to the others around us. Not in a condemning way, but with unconditional love. The exact same type of love that God has shown us. God's unconditional love is His gift of mercy. He wants us to show compassion instead of condemnation. We see that wonderful illustration of the Good Samaritan, where he could have, the Samaritan could have easily have looked at this Jewish man who uh, had been waylaid and left for dead alongside the road. He could have said, you know, that man hates me because I'm a Samaritan. Why don't I just walk on by? Just let him die. He probably deserves that. Instead, he showed mercy. Didn't matter who this man was, what his race was, or what he thought about him. He saw a man that was in need, and he showed mercy, compassion, unconditional love, and he met the man's needs. The next thing that James mentions is full of good fruits. 
Y'all do understand that as Christians, we will be known by our fruits. How we live, what we say, what we do, and God is the one who fills us with his fruit. We read that passage, the fruit of the Spirit, I've already mentioned it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Folks, we can be good people, but we can't be that kind of person without the Spirit of God working in and through us. Unwavering. That's just another picture of perseverance, that even when the going gets tough, you stay firm and founded in the Word of God. You keep living according to His Spirit. It's a picture of, again, living a surrendered life unto the Lord. So we look at this unwavering. Stay in the course, regardless of how difficult it gets. You know, we, we read the stories of the apostles in the New Testament. I'm always reminded of uh, Paul and Silas. And they, they went through some tough times on one of their missionary journeys. They got thrown in a deep, dark dungeon of prison. I mean, deep down in a hole. They basically had a, a small hole just big enough to lower them down with a rope and pull the rope back up. No light, no facilities, and just crumbs and water to survive off of. Yet in the middle of the night, they were singing praises to the Lord. How many of us could do that? Well, if you have an unwavering, persevering spirit, you can do all things. Then he says, without hypocrisy. Simply shows that we are sincere in what we say and do. You know, we, we can all fake it for a while. We can act like we're good, concerned people. But after a while, the true nature comes through. If our true nature is a surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ, then we don't have a problem with hypocrisy. Of saying things that we don't really mean. He basically says, you'll be filled with my spirit and your spirit, his spirit will flow through us. Then he says, as a result, we will plant the seed whose fruit is righteousness. God wants us to be a planting seeds. Now, we have a lot of farmers around here. We see the evidence of the planting of seeds. We're not talking about the physical seeds that produce a physical crop. We're talking about spiritual seeds, seeds of righteousness. That's what God wants us to be doing. Now, how many seeds do you have? Do you, do you need to be really specific of how often you plant a seed of righteousness? Because you might run out. God gives us an unending supply of seeds to plant. He wants us to be planting them everywhere we go. And we do that by the love of Christ shining through us as we minister in His name, as we allow His Holy Spirit to control what we say and do, think and desire. We are planting the seeds of righteousness. We're sowing peace wherever we go. Because when people truly see the heart of Christ in us, they see the peace of God as well. And so we become God's peacemakers. That's what the scriptures tell us, that we become God's peacemakers. God uses us to bring peace into this world. And it's not peace at all costs. It's not agreeing to disagree with those who don't like what we have to say. It is sharing the love of Christ any way the Spirit leads us to do so. Planting the seeds of righteousness, being the ones who sow peace. Then God 
will use us to be peacemakers. And God's peace will live through us. We look at this passage of Scripture. A little bit of a different take on how James has been sharing. He's basically saying, we need to get some things straight. There's some counterfeits in this world. Wisdom and understanding can come from two different sources. It can come from above, from God, through His Holy Spirit, as we live surrendered lives unto the Lord. Or it can come from the world. And the world has a very loud voice. And we hear it every day. And it's so difficult not to be swayed by the things of this world because we live in this world. We have to survive in this world. We have to try to find ways to get along with this world. And so it's not an easy thing to do. But God, in His infinite wisdom, has said, I'm with you. I've given you everything that you need. And I want you not only just to be my child, but I want you to be active in this world to plant the seeds of righteousness, to sow the seeds of peace, to be my peacemakers in this world. As you do, God will bless us. He'll strengthen us. He'll give us the ability to, to persevere, and He will continue to give us His gift of mercy so that we can show compassion, unconditional love as we do this. And we won't get the praise and the glory, but God will, because we're pointing people to the Lord and not ourselves. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that we have these truths today. Lord, to remind us that we live in a world that thinks it has wisdom. And Lord, it tries its best to convince us to follow the worldly wisdom around us. But Lord, you have shown us very clearly that the ways of this world are not your ways. Lord, that you want us to be pure, peaceful, merciful, and all the different characteristics that you share today. Lord, we need to be found faithful in living a surrendered life to you so that your wisdom, your understanding, is what controls our lives, controls our thoughts, our desires, our words, and our deeds. Everything about us is yours to control. Lord, help us to surrender anew each and every day to allow you to be in control so that it is your wisdom, your understanding, that guides our paths. Well, thank you for this day. Guide us as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.